Well, you have notes out there. Everybody have the notes? Is that okay? Peter is a pretty proficient writer. Uh, he is a reasonably direct individual. He has learned a lot by the time we find the writings that Peter shares with us in this book of the Bible, 1 Peter, the third chapter. We find that he's mature, he's grown, he has jumped a few hurdles, he has faced the fire, and now he has some good solid advice that he did not learn out of a textbook. He learned it out of his own personal experience. He learned it out of the time that he spent visiting our Heavenly Father and soaking up His presence. The dominant truths of what Peter shares, his, uh, it came back from his memory when Jesus was teaching. And he thought, now it all makes sense. And he's talking to the church here at Corinth, and he's suggesting to them, you guys can't get along. You guys, okay? He's talking to the church now, not the non-church or the unchurched. He's talking to those that, okay, now we got Jews and we got Gentiles. You need, when you come through the threshold of Christianity, and particularly in the church, you need to lay your sword down, and you don't need to pick it up again. So he must think, what is a unique way to get into a subject that, that deals with relationships, that deals with emotional challenge? We know that if you're going to have peace, Peace usually costs something. It demands something, and it also relates, and there has to be some sacrifice. If you're going to have a peaceful relationship in your marriage, it's going to take some sacrifice. We know we can all go to war. Right now, we're facing a challenge that is really difficult with North Korea, but I promise you, there has never been a war or even a conflict, but what it did not cost lives. Not only that, marriage. What is marriage? Oh, it's 100% me and, and 100% my spouse. Well, i got to tell you, marriage is a whole lot of self-sacrifice, of sacrifice of yourself to enjoy that relationship. Relationship also has to have a humble spirit, not a proud, haunty spirit. It's my way. Those are important. Peter's beginning to deal with that church there in Corinth, and he said, I want to I tell you how to have and give you some steps to emotional resolution. And I, I use the term emotional resolution because usually the person that creates the most damage is the one that is the most upset. How do you, how do you deal with that? He said, we all want a positive relationship with people. And he says, we also want to enjoy the beauty of compassion. We like compassion from others. And, and we like just one day at the office, one day in the marriage, just one day and some relation to, to have a day of peace so that we really understand what's going on. And he deals in this unique way in those first seven verses. He's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And he says, okay, if I can deal with that, he gives guidance between that relationship of a husband and wife. And then he also says, it relates to the fact that, hey, Christianity Christianity is the manifestation of men and women and their relationship with God. Men and women and their relationship, a child of God and his relationship with God. He says, you find that in the church. So he said, I want everybody to have a happy life. I want everybody to enjoy a wonderful experience. I want everyone to get along. And he said, I want to give you the rules 
I want to give you the rules of being able to have emotional stability and enjoy life. And here's what he says. First, he said, you're going to have to be compassionate. And now there are some people who are just born with that DNA of compassion. How many know somebody like that? I mean, they're just the most, they're just born with that DNA. And then there are some that has, they have to work at it a little more with compassion. You know anybody like that? I mean, they just have to work at it a little more than others. And uh, you, you can always judge other people about their compassion, but be careful about yourself. So he says in 1 Peter 3, 8, um, I like to, like to share some information. He says, uh, above all, after he's talked about marriage and God, he says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. What's he saying? Get along. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, and be compassionate and humble. So he said, there's a step right there. Be compassionate and humble. Get along with others if you don't mind. He exhorts and he says, if you want a life with a relationship of peace. Now, every relationship is going to be tested. And in every relation, according to what season or subject it is, there's going to be a positive and a negative. And it's wonderful when both can have a positive view of something. Often in relationships and disagreements, there is the negative and there is the positive. And we find that when the negative stands their ground and the positive stands their ground, here's what you have. You have nobody moving in a direction to try to bring resolution, emotional resolution. And when I say that, how many of you know what it feels like when you have a disagreement with your spouse? Amen? You have a disagreement. How many of you men know when she is not happy? You just know it. You know it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. You got to have a little bit of experience. Matter of fact, before you marry, whoever it is you're dating, start keeping, start keeping a record now. Before you get married, how many days out of the week she's been happy? And how many days out of the week she's just been out of control? And you might do the same thing, sister. Composite of those days. So we, we understand that, that life and relationship of peace. I think most people want a healthy emotional life. Don't you? I mean, be emotionally happy. How emotionally happy can you be if you live with a grump or a grouch all the time? How emotionally can man? You know what? When you live with that kind of a person, guess what? You look for a lot of things to do before you get home. Hello? And after you get home, what is it that you do? You can only mow the yard so many times. You can only trim the hedge back so much. And then we want a productive life. We really do want a productive life. And we appreciate that emotion that we have. So here's what he says. Hey, have humility and offer compassion. What does compassion project or emanate? Say, so, okay, I'm, I'm not natural. I wasn't naturally born as a super compassionate person. But I'm working on compassion. And working on compassion usually comes out of the era of your own way. Here's what it does. If you project and emanate, okay, compassion, I got it. I wasn't born with it necessarily, but I want to live it out. It, it offers 
and practices sympathetic feelings. Sympathetic feelings. I, you know, I, I certainly have a sympathetic feeling. And as a matter of fact, I can have an empathetic feeling with you. Uh, it offers mercy. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, mercy. I want to give you mercy. Understand? I know that you said what you said, and, and I know that you meant it, and I know you raised your voice, and I know it was really loud, and I know that you swung at me a couple times, but I want to give you, I want to give you mercy. You said swing. Oh, let me tell you what. I want to give you mercy because I know that you didn't mean to say what you said. Now, if he or she says, yes, I did, I still mean it right now. Back off. Compassion, of course, deals with the fact it offers understanding. I want to give you, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. I'm trying to understand what you meant. Figure it out for yourself. Somebody's not practicing these points right here. It offers feelings of sorrow or pity. Feelings of sorrow. I don't want your pity. How about feelings of sorrow? Will that work? You see, when a person makes their mind up, not to get along, when a person makes their mind up not to show compassion, when a person makes their mind up that it can only be their way, that person, my friend, is in store for a rough road and those around them will experience it as well. It's true. A good prayer life will take care of that. Romans 12.1 uses the term brethren. It's something that the Apostle Paul relates, and it was something that Jesus emanated as it relates to his teaching, uh, teaching call you brother. You know, he's trying to say, hey, we, we're all brothers. All through the Gospels, Jesus is talking about that compassion. He's talking about from his perspective. He said, men and women need sympathy and need compassion. He said, I need to illustrate it. So Paul says, brothers, 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 brothers. He learned that from the teachings of the church, and Peter learned it from the teachings of Jesus. And when we are sympathetic toward others, then and only then can we be understanding. You can fake understanding. Did you know that? Did you know you can fake understand? Oh, I understand, I understand. Well, what did I say? I don't know, but I get your point. Usually men do that. You know when they say that, what they mean? I'd like to move on, so I'll cave in. I got your point. Let's change the subject and let's get out of here. But you women are smart. You know. No, you don't understand. And gentlemen, if you're married... You'll work a whole lifetime trying to understand. You think you'll ever get there? Keep trying. But that's true. We're not talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about believers. I've seen believers just be belligerent toward one another. And when you hear someone say, well, I don't need your sympathy. I don't need your sympathy, I don't, I don't need your pity, and I don't need your mercy. Now that's a clear indication that they don't know how to share true compassion with a pure motive. 
They may share compassion in order to gain a leverage. That means that they don't have the value of compassion in their own life. They, they may have lived a life that they didn't receive compassion, so if I didn't receive it, why should I give it? And I'm not talking about, and Peter is not talking about, Peter, that, uh, people that it's easy to give compassion to. It's easy. It's like when you go and you see we'll work for food or you see water, a bottle, you know. Ask yourself, how long does it take you to get rid of your cynicism and finally get through to a compassionate spirit and begin to ask yourself questions that gives the homeless person an opportunity to find a place in your heart to show compassion. Just that quick, the light changes just in a few minutes. And you have to determine, how did I view that person when I first saw them? You know, if I give them, a, you know, compassion, they're, they're, they're still on drugs or alcohol. Compassion. Be careful to judge. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we have to have that understanding of compassion with those to whom we have difficulty with. I want to have, how, how do you show compassion to somebody that just gets under your skin all the time? You know what the Bible says? Show them love. Heap understanding, heap love, heap patience on the top of their head. Here's another area. He said, if you want it, you got to have compassion. But if you want to learn the steps, keep your cool. Keep your cool. How short is your fuse? Well, you might say it's according to what day it is. It's according to what the issue is. According to how stressed I am. How short is your fuse? How short is your fuse at home? How short is it? You know, if you don't know, ask the people around you. They will tell you how short your fuse is if they're honest and not afraid of you. So here's what 1 Peter says. I love it. He says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because to this you were, call, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So evil, with evil or insult, with insult, you were called to do that. Why? So you might, if you don't do that, you inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So it seems like to me what I gain here is you just have to keep your cool without insult, without cursing, without blaming. He says when you do, you inherit a blessing, but when your tongue speaks evil and your lips happen to be deceitful, you lose God's favor. The worst testimony, I think, in the world is a Christian out of control. And it always grieves my heart when I hear someone say, so-and-so, yeah. I saw them, boy. I saw them lose it, boy, in a 7-Eleven. I saw them lose it at Lowe's. I saw them lose it just right out on the church. They just lost it. Blew up. You say, Pastor, do you really think that? I'll tell you what. 
Just watch when we leave the parking lot on Sunday morning. That's where most of my reports come from. Just as recent as a few days ago, someone got in an individual spot where he usually parked, and it was a new person. And he write very quickly, gave him a piece of his mind. But you know what? When I mentioned it, the team around here knew who it was. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. So, here's what he says. He encourages us how to behave properly and tells us what not to do. I've told you how to behave. Now I'll tell you what not to do. Don't repay evil with evil. In other words, let me rephrase that a little bit and see how it fits. In other words, you don't have to engage in paybacks. Everybody good with that? You don't, you don't have to, to engage in paybacks, especially if the motive is not correct. Paybacks. Children learn that early on, don't they? Why did you slap him? Because he hit me. It's in, just in that carnal DNA. Don't repay insult with insult. Just don't do that. This means no retaliation and no sharp tongue sarcasm. Peter's saying, stay in control. Now, if you've got a short fuse, you don't stay in control very long. But if you've lost your temper enough because of a short fuse and someone has hit you upside of the head with an instrument every time you do that, before long you learn, you know? Before that, you learn a little bit. It's a hard lesson to learn. All right, here it is. When you lose control, if I lose control, here's what happens. This is just a few. You give others the power to control your emotions. You give them the power. You might think they're the weaker, but you give them the power to control your emotion. You hurt others deeply and you build barriers because you can never retract when you get out of control. You just can't retract that. You can apologize, but you just can't, you just can't take it back. Here's another. You show your own anger and the depth of that anger. Here's another. You cause others to lose respect for your testimony. And we have to really work hard to maintain a good testimony. And then we, we act more like the devil than Christ. More like the devil than Christ. Here's another. We abandon common sense and rationality. We abandon common sense. Can you imagine so often if kids in the household of their parents had an opportunity to tell their story? What would they say? And if we are being obedient to the Scripture, they're going to give praise. But I can tell you one of the things that we realize often is children go through a lot of emotional pain and scarring, not just in unbelievers' homes, but in believers' homes. 
because it's fisticuffs all the time. Here's something else. We dig into the carnal nature and allow it to dominate us when we lose control. So how do we manage that? What's the Bible say? Here it is, Matthew 5. Here's another old saying. It's a message version. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. This is Jesus. Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap the best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Isn't that what Jesus did when he knew what was going to happen? What we call the Last Supper, that he washed the feet of Peter, and he knew what he was going to do, and he washed the feet of Judas, and he knew what he was going to do. And he reached down and washed his feet. You see, and if someone takes an unfair advantage of you, use it to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. And the word generously is, hey, live flamboyantly in the Christian faith. That you show the flamboyant fruits of the Spirit. That, that you show that. And that makes it attractive to other people. Peter moves on in 1 Peter 3, 10, we find. He says, now, whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill with good. Here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. <coughs> Snub evil and cultivate good. That's work. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. But he turns his back on those who do evil things. What evil things? The very things that he just spoke about. Turns his back. Wow, what does that mean? That the favor of God is interrupted by nasty evil behavior. That's why that it's important to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's why it's important when we know that we jump off the ledge, that we say, God, help me, and we move on by the power of Jesus Christ. When we lose control, it also adversely affects us. Headaches often, stomach turns to knots, blood pressure, heart beats faster, and on our physical body response. And the psalmist said, way before the New Testament, Psalms 34, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lives and turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't just turn from evil. Don't just do that. He says, do good. Not just a negative turn from it, but do good. Do something that is responsible. Finally, show godly trust. Show godly trust. 1 Peter 3, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
And do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. In other words, it's important to remember that that good always will trump eventually evil. It always trumps. Eventually, it eventually trumps evil. First Peter 3, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought through thick and thin. Keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your Master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you're living and always with the utmost courtesy. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need the bath. That's easy reading, but it's tough living. It's tough living. But we have to be reminded what is our course of study. Peter asked the question, do you think you can be stopped? What does that mean? He's not talking about, he's not talking about physical power. Here's what he's talking about. If you can keep your cool and if you can under pressure maintain a solid resolve of love and compassion, he says nothing can stop you. No one's going to interrupt your behavior. Nothing can stop you. He said, because you have a resolve inside. He wants us to understand that when we obey God's Word and we share with compassion and we stay in control, we are the overcomers, even if we are suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You rise above it. You do good. He said, we're overcomers because... One, God hears our prayers. Number two, because God's eyes are upon us for protection. And number three, God shares happiness with us. He says in verse 14, happy are ye. Happy are ye. Content are ye. Blessed are ye. And God tells us not to be afraid. And he also tells us we will enjoy in this wonderful a clear conscience. So you see, friend, when relationships are strained, and many are, and the best of relationships are strained from time to time. Well, how often can a relationship be strained, Pastor, do you think, and still be considered a good relationship? You know, that's according to what happens after the stress is over. You know? Okay, this one passed, but if you're looking for another go-around, go at it. You see, friend, relationship, the atmosphere is charged with angry words. Anybody ever been there? Tempers start flying and everybody involved loses. Everybody involved loses. Nobody wins. I'm a fortunate person and raised as a child. I can only remember a handful of times that my mom and my dad just went all out just going at one another. Just don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember my father ever using a slang word, much less a curse word. Just wasn't in his vocabulary. 
You saying it was perfect? No. No, no. But I'm saying that part. You see, nobody wins when that takes place. Our testimony often is compromised. And Peter says, live in a way that when people observe you and me, he said that it will provoke a question in somebody's heart. How do you seem to manage disagreements and stress? How do you seem to manage a major hurricane? How do you seem to manage when difficulty comes? And you know what? I think for all of us who want to do better, it's just God. Amen? But not just God. We learn some lessons as we go along. We learn some lessons as we go along. And when we learn those lessons, that our goal is to love one another, our goal is to be peaceful, our goal is to do all that we can to amend and mend broken ways, then God brings favor to that kind of a person. So if you're here tonight and your guns are loaded for somebody and has been for a long time, unload the gun, put it down, Take it to Jesus and let God manage you first. Let him manage you first. And all the other things will eventually work its way out. Amen? Would you stand? Not many amens tonight, but it's not one of those messages that Mexico suffered a second uh, earthquake. You've read, read about it. They're still pulling the latest report right before service. They're still pulling individuals from the rubble. Most are dead. In Puerto Rico, I got a text today from a family who has, her family is down there. They said it was the scariest night they've ever experienced, but they are safe. But that's because they were in a concrete fortress. I've been to Puerto Rico. The majority of the people there don't live in a concrete fortress. And many of the fortresses that look like they're a fortress were not built to cat three or four or even cat two standards. Here we are, blessed. And so I'm asking you, as we spoke last week, the people in Key West, how many of you still do not have electricity? I'm looking carefully. Do not. So everyone here, up there, anybody, you do not have electricity. The majority, then from what I saw, all of you have electricity. How many thank God for electricity? Amen? Amen. It's God's divine favor. But if you go to Highlands County, if you go to Key West, Key Largo, those areas, you're going to find people that are suffering. If you go to Mexico, you're going to find people, the loss of life, not just one family member, but several and what's our responsibility? We hear you, Lord. We are blessed. 
is to put on the cloak of compassion and to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads before we just find a place to pray and just ask you this question. Is your heart right with Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Those that are listening on the line, is your heart right with Jesus? Is all well in your heart and life? If you were to expire, would you be good with God? So just in case, I'm asking you to repeat this prayer, everyone. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned, and I need a Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take control. I desire to serve you. Help me learn to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, I was in a place of business. Individual walked up to me, not even in this city. He said, You're a pastor. Yes. May I talk with you? He worked in this place of business. Sure. First, my family lives in Puerto Rico. I'm scared to death. But he said, What I want to talk to you about is not just my family. But he said, I'm lost. I'm a wreck. I've messed up my life and I don't know what to do I need help he wasn't asking for money not for groceries not for a ride he was asking would you pray for me we not only will pray we'll get you in some counseling and get you some help right away I can tell you friend God is touching the lives of people. As we pray, God does the unseen things that sometimes we don't see. So I'm going to ask you, would you just find a place to pray for the next 10 minutes? You're welcome to slip in the altar. You're welcome to be reseated. We just need to pray for these needs and whatever. Let me give you another need. It's with Robin, uh, um, her her son is Jalen. Neil, who was burned in the explosion, is having a rough, rough time. He's having a reaction. They're having to take his arms and chest and scrape the skin off every day. It's very, very painful, but they try to pig skin on him, and apparently he has rejected that, and now there's a rough, rough road ahead. So pray for him and that God would touch in so many others the scott weech family did the funeral yesterday and there are others that people just need help amen so we're going to worship softly find a place to pray and we'll we'll come back in just a minute with a benediction